When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome, everyone, to Rock M Nation Podcast. Uh, this is a brand new part two episode of Dive Cuts. We are on season six, episode 7.2. Um, we got through half of the SEC uh, in the last pod, and we were already like right at about the hour mark. And so uh, your host, me, uh, my name is Sam Snelling. Uh, my co-host, Matthew J. Harris, uh, and our guest, Blake Lovell, decided to just call it. And come back and do a whole another podcast about the top half of the SEC. Uh, we wanted so... to talk about the CFP <laughs> ranking so badly. So yeah, badly. that is what I wanted. Yeah, uh, it, it um, was a yeah. it was a combination of uh, timing and us, uh, as always, kind of going along on on trying to get through the entire league. Um, so we're we're all back. Uh, if you listen to the last podcast, um, you probably know Blake. Uh, if you've listened to this podcast feed <laughs> over the last few years, you probably already know Blake. Um, Blake, uh, welcome back. We're glad you were able to join us again in the, uh, twice in the same week. We are privileged and honored. Well, I appreciate that, guys. Um, we are sitting here recording this as Missouri is playing their exhibition game against uh, Washington University. and um, Washington you know, University so in me... St. Louis. There you go. I'm sorry to to leave that part out there to all the, the St. Louis natives. Um, well, actually, uh, I, I'm a former employee of uh, of uh, Washington yeah. University well, in St. Louis, and uh, and shortly before I got there, they like rebranded to make sure that people didn't confuse them with like with like UW or anything like that. So 
Uh, I mean, both yeah, those schools case. are still better rated than Missouri in U.S. news ranking. Yeah. So <laughs> everything on their like letterhead and like it all says Washington University in St. Louis. It's 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 kind of a thing. So, well, that's fine. Listen, Missouri's up fifteen as we're talking now. Um, but I believe I believe that's so, like an old. Uh, is that Missouri Valley? Were they in the Valley together? Like way, 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 way back. Probably. Yeah, it's something like that, like like founding members of like Missouri Valley in like the 1920s. Wow, uh, a lot at stake here then. <laughs> yeah. Old rivalries <laughs> renewed. I should probably look that up because it's it's actually pretty fascinating to like go back. Uh, I think Basketball Reference is always kind of my go-to on that, and you can actually go back and see those old leagues. It's actually pretty funny. Um, this SEC pod's off to a rip roaring start <laughs> right now. Anyways, let's get back to the 1930s because there was a lot to talk about. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. So um, to sort of, I guess, pick up where we left off, we were kind of talking about Missouri and 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 there are mostly modest expectations around, uh, you know, their their season this year. I think a lot of people that are higher on them are, are higher on them strictly for the you know the fact that they have a an offensive weapon like Isaiah Mosley on the team, um, you know, as they sort of struggle to shoot the ball and uh, and aren't quite putting away WashU tonight, I, I think there's probably some Mizzou fans with some trepidation. Um, but I think that this is also important to say that uh, the soft entry into the non-conference schedule was built for a reason, and it's so Dennis Gates can kind of figure out what he has, uh, who is going to do what, and what rotations are going to work. Um, so it's all sort of like being thrown at the wall right now and, and we'll find out what sticks. Yeah. The rotations tonight have been kind of, have been kind of wonky, but that's what exhibitions are for. Um, I, I think there's a kind of a natural pecking order in the back court, but, uh, the front court is, is going to be, uh, problematic for this group. So I think that that's, you know, just as we sort of sit here tonight, it's sort of nice to, even if we can't see it you know, because the game's not being broadcast, but as you watch the rotations go through and as you see kind of observations come in, the backcourt looks like it's going to be pretty solid. Um, they're going to have to figure some things out chemistry-wise and and get, you know, their, their lineups together. But um, it looks like once you get past the front line of this team defensively, there's going to be some some size issues. And I think that kind of gets in to the bigger sort of discussion about the ceiling on this team. I think the guards we're good enough to put them in the mix for an NCAA tournament bid, but the front court, I, I think is where, you know, you know, the ceiling kind of gets lowered on them a little bit, but I'm, I'm sort of curious for where Blake's thoughts are on just kind of this roster at this point. Well, you know, what's going to happen here because we decided and this, we got pushed to a part two, they're going to lose this game and all <laughs> chaos is going to just ensue. And everyone's going to be calling me every name in the book for hyping up this Dennis Gates hire. Um, but no, in all seriousness, if they do lose, um, I'm I'm going to cover another sport. Uh, but no, I mean, I, I think like you said, I, I think that's kind of what we thought initially in terms of you looked at the guard play and you're just thinking, OK, they, they're going to be able to figure some things out um, in the backcourt. You don't have a lot of, you know, worries about that. But it is I mean, you kind of know what you're going to get from Kobe Brown. But it's I think defensively, specifically, like you said, Matt, like that's where that's where you start to to look at it and say, okay, we got to remember who they're going up against on a night in night out basis, especially in the sec. And there's a lot of good guards that can get to the rim. There's a lot of big guys, um, you know, around the league that can do a, 
a variety of things. And yeah, I think it's a, it's a fair question with this team just to kind of see what it looks like beyond, um, you know, just the, what I think can be a, a very, very good guard group, um, you know, guys on the wing, but once you get in the actual pain, I'm just curious to see how everything sort of plays out. So. Well, after I, you know, I guess uh, as much as we've sort of talked about Missouri. Oh, and I, I did look it up, and it was the the Missouri Valley Conference. Thank the, God. The last God time uh, they played each other was actually 1959. So it's it's been a minute. Um, but yeah, kind of moving on into like the rest of the league. Like I, I feel like most people have a pretty good gauge on Missouri. Like the ball handling should be should be pretty good. Um, the front court is a worry. Uh, they have a a, a big time score in Isaiah Mosley, so ceiling on them probably what like a seventh in conference. Uh, is there a way for them to get up to six, or we think like I'm I'm kind of thinking like you know seven to eleven is the range that I sort of think they fall into. I cap them at eight. I think that I just think the front court they're going to see, especially you know as you start to get towards the top of. The, you know, if you look at Colin Castleton or you look at an Oscar Sheebway or, you know, you begin to get to Auburn, which is going to have some young guys there and, and Joe and I broom, but there's still some size there. Alabama's going to have some athleticism up front. I just think, you know, once you start to, and even if you like look at KJ Williams, who's kind of a, an undersized in terms of height, you know, from a height perspective, but, you know, can absolutely play physically in the block. I just think you start to really get into the area where the front courts in this league in the upper half have a little bit more depth. And I think that's going to really kind of put a capper on them. I think that they would need, you know, another team in front of them to really have some chemistry issues or maybe some injury issues to open it up. I just, I, I think the front court depth really kind of, I think puts a capper on them at, at number eight, but you know, weird things have happened in this league and there's always things we can't foresee, but I, I think eighth is probably where I'd slot them at, at the top end. Yeah. I mean, I think that to me, and I think there's a clear top five in the league, I think there's three teams behind them, Florida and M issue for me. And then I think you've even got a team like Ole Miss that probably has more upside than I've given them credit for. Um, so I, I think I'm kind of there. I, probably eight's as high as I would go just based on that. Um, just because, yeah, I, I just, I, again, it's always about the other teams too. It's not just about your team. And I think I would be surprised if, especially those top five teams, you know, went South. Although I guess we said that about Alabama last year and, um, it did, but I just think with the talent of those top five teams, and then I think you've certainly got potential with, with Florida and LSU and, and even A&M, uh, if everything comes together offensively, um, yeah, I feel like it would be hard to get above that, that eight range. And I mean, at the absolute best, I think seven would be your mark there. So we're saying essentially that the best case here is probably back into the bubble conversation. Maybe if it's an especially deep year, yeah. you can maybe get to, in like a playing game situation, but NIT is probably the more realistic, you know, sort of, I think, outcome for this group, which is not bad given that they were 137th in Kim Palm last year. But it just feels like, you know, in this league where 10 wins is kind of your cutoff and, you know, I think seven's usually the upper end of the bids that they get. You know, I think if you're in eighth or ninth, you're going to be on the outside looking in. But that's nothing to sneeze at if, if you're a Missouri fan and after what happened last year. Well, yeah, so the, the next team kind of on our list, um, Matt, and you'll appreciate this, is a team who uh, some view as just vastly 
and otherworldly better uh, than the Missouri Tigers, and that's the Florida Gators. Uh, they do bring back Colin Castleton, which uh, is no small feat. Uh, Castleton is is very likely to be sort of a minimum sort of 15.9 rebound kind of guy. He's, he's a very, uh, very good and skilled uh, big man. He knows what he does well and doesn't really venture uh, much outside of that. Doesn't extend uh, or try to shoot a whole lot of threes. Um, he's, he's good with his back to the basket. Uh, and he's good at rebounding. He's good at finishing. So um, that's pretty much what he does. The rest of the Florida roster is is interesting. Um, they have uh, quite a few transfers, like Missouri. Uh, Todd Golden is in his first year as a head coach. He's a guy that I think um, a lot of national writers seem to like a lot. Uh, you know, but access journalism is amazing. <laughs> it's funny, funny what happens uh, when you get to tag along. Um, but yeah, like it, it, I, I think Florida should be better than Missouri. Um, I think Mike White had sort of, you know, reached, uh, the end of his line there. I thought it was smart of him to kind of get out. Uh, I've never really thought he was a bad coach, but I just thought he was just struggling to sort of get his imprint on the program. And, you know, Florida was still kind of attracting talent because it's Florida uh, but he never really seemed to kind of get comfortable and 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 get things rolling in a way I think a lot of people thought when he first took over. So uh, moving on to Todd Golden, um, like what are your kind of initial thoughts on the Gators and 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 Todd Golden in general? Like like is is this a guy you think is a, a good hire, a great hire, or like all hires? Are we just like <laughs> giving a big shrug emoji? That's. That's what I'm doing, like, on this one. I just, you know, because I think Todd Golden is someone that, you know, the national media certainly loves. And, um, you know, I'm not saying I, I don't. I just, like, I think sometimes it's okay. Like, I I get it. I, I look at him and see the potential that's there. Um, you know, but, I mean, I do also look at someone that is that is young and only been a head coach for three years and now steps into a – a program that wants to be, you know, the Billy Donovan days. And I think that's a, that's a large, you know, thing that you're stepping into there. But the good news for Todd Golden is that he's not Mike White and he's, you know, he's not stepping into being the guy after Billy Donovan. He's stepping into being the guy after Mike White. And um, I think that's, you know, that immediately kind of puts him in a, I mean, I think there's still pressure there, but it's, it's less pressure packed, but I think he is someone that you can clearly see though, that, has kind of a feel for where things are, are going in terms of um, the game itself and how the game's played and just kind of this era in general. Uh, I think the big questions will be, you know, the recruiting aspects. Um, it'll be things like that. I think over the next however many years, whatever you want to put as the range there, uh, I think will be certainly the biggest thing. Um, I think this team in particular, guys, I mean, I, I mean, look, I, I was someone that initially, like I was, I was a Colin Castleton. I don't know what like the I wasn't anti Colin Castleton. I just I wasn't sure like that he was going to be what he's actually become. And now like I'm just like I love the guy. Like I think he's just someone that will certainly put them in a position to win a lot of games. And you know I think the thing is like what we saw with Florida and why they started to slip a little bit. Mike White's best teams there. You know that they had to play good defense and they slipped a little bit defensively. Um, their offense was just, 
don't know what the right word is boring. I mean, is that too strong? Like they're just the times they just were not, I mean, really, cause I think they just were not very exciting on offense in many ways at all. Uh, and I think we, we may have mentioned this on the last one we did, or we may have mentioned it off air. Um, you know, just the, the difference in what, how Mike White wanted to play at Louisiana tech versus how he played at Florida. And, you know, I know personnel factors into that too, but, I don't know. I'm curious to see what Todd Golton will do just in terms of um, what they look like with this particular team stylistically. And to me, it is Colin Castleton and well, everybody else, because I don't know what Jones is going to do. I mean, I, you know, the potential's there, but he's got to shoot better. Uh, I really like Kwesi Reeves. I think he's someone that has a lot of potential, um, but you're still only talking about a guy that, you know, didn't average a lot of points and stuff last year. But I think this is kind of a, he can build off a strong finish. Um, and then you mentioned like Kyle Lofton, Trey Bonham, uh, you know, Alex Fudge is there, Will Richard. I mean, I even, I think it was, I don't know, Blue Ribbon maybe, where Golden's thinking about the idea of playing Castleton and Jatobo together. And I'm just like, what in the world? What? How would Why? that look? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you do that, but if he does, listen, he's the analytics guy. Has and he I seen will, Jatobo I will, like play basketball? I like don't know. <laughs> I. Look, that may have just been a passing comment, right? But I, I'm pretty sure I mentioned that. I, I, I wouldn't have put it in my notes here. Uh, I wouldn't have just made that up, I don't think. So yeah. um, those kind of things are, I guess, intriguing <laughs> for different reasons. But um, I don't know. I mean, I say all that to to say that, you know, I don't know what to expect from Todd Golden at Florida because I think that he's a good coach. I think he's still young. And I'm sure there will be an adjustment period like a lot of new coaches that come into the SEC. Uh, but if he can recruit and, you know, he can get players there that are going to be players that, that need to be players at Florida, meaning this group he brought in, the transfers, like, can they translate and be just fine? Then I think Florida will be just fine. I think the what's hard for me is, and, and Sam and I have talked about this, is the job that Todd Golden had to do at USF is entirely different than what you know, Dennis Gates had to do at Cleveland state, but Todd golden, you know, was, you know, he helped recruit, you know, some guys on that roster that, you know, helped that program max out. But, you know, Dennis Gates showed up to Cleveland state and had to put together a team in a week and then, you know, had to, you know, coach that team through a really terrible first season where they were getting crushed, then coach them through a pandemic then bring everybody back. And, you know, I think it's just a different sort of job to do what he did at Cleveland City as opposed to what Todd did, which was get a team from 70th to, you know, 25th in Kempom versus getting a team to, you know, 160 from 320 in Kempom. I just think they're totally different. And, you know, that's not to speak ill of what Todd had to do. It's just, I think, you know, to paint him as a master you know, artist is, is I think a little bit generous there. And I think part of it is because, you know, and I don't want to, you know, besmirch Todd for being open and for talking about how his team uses analytics and how his team, you know, goes about using data. But I think there's a lot that sort of plays into what, you know, writers, you know, want to hear from a guy. And I think there's some tropes there that get rolled out. And I think Todd gets a lot of credit for that. Whereas I think if you like, listen to Dennis Gates talk and I've, I've talked to Dennis a couple of times, you know, that guy's very much about ball. It's like, not that he's not, you know, personable, but you know, that guy is, you know, direct. He's, he's honest. He's clear about what he wants. And I just think it's different, you know, personalities, different sort of jobs that they've had 
you know, I'm curious what Todd does in year one here, because I think, you know, this is a synergy all-star team that he's put together in the transfer portal. You know, Will <laughs> Richard is getting mad love from NBA Twitter who feels like he's a jumbo combo guard. And, um, you know, you're seeing clips of, you know, what he can do and making secondary reads and ball screens. And it's really great, but he was the number three guy on Belmont. You know, Trey Bonham's a guy who put up good numbers at VMI, but if you buy into analytics, you know, even if you are skeptical of what they say defensively, he still gave up almost a point per possession defensively, you know, in, in the Southern Conference. So it's like, okay, can we put Bonham on the floor for extended periods defensively? Kyle Lofton is probably my favorite pickup there. He's not a really an efficient scorer, but that guy moves the ball. You know, he's, you know, got a good an assist rate. He's played on a really, really good team in the A-10. But, you know, I feel like people will sometimes probably underrate Lofton a little bit there. And Alex Fudge, you know, if you knew Will Wade, if you were a young guy who could come in and make an impact, he was not going to hesitate playing you. And Alex Fudge had a hard time breaking through for LSU last season. So I tend to look at this team as a nice, there are nice pieces individually here. My question is how they sort of fit together. And whereas when I look at what Missouri has, all the pieces that, you know, Dennis brought in were for a very specific reason. Tonight, they're running basically the same base offense they ran at Cleveland State, it sounds like. And it's clicking for stretches because he went and got guys that could do those things. So it's it's not a question of, you know, whether I think Todd's a good coach or not, whether I think he's, you know, a smart guy and data-driven. It's just what does his roster look like and how does it manifest? And, you know, Castleton's a good player, but he's not a creator type. He's got to rely on other people. So. Look, I think if you were to give me the raw talent argument, there's a lot here. I'm just not quite sure how it interlocks. And that's going to be the fascinating thing is to see what Todd does here. If they get it right, it's a top 16. But I think there's a bigger margin for error than some folks think. So that's me crapping all over Florida <laughs> there. <laughs> but it's just, I, I think it's, it's a, it's a, I think there's, there needs to be a little bit more skepticism, I think, thrown their way than, than than perhaps they've gotten so far uh, yeah my my big sort of thing with it is if you can start with somebody like castleton in your roster like you're starting at a good and place. i love castleton that guy yeah. that guy is fantastic like I, I i think that's a solid enough place to start and if you know kawasi can sort of take the ne- another step then he'll come like, down the stretch last year too like all the, really yeah the all, the, all the other guys just have to be kind of okay uh and they can probably finish around sixth um, I think Miriam Jones is the guy that we all have to kind of look at a little bit closer. He shot the ball really well at Penn State, did not shoot it well last year. Yeah. If that if that guy bounces back and he plays closer to the level at Penn State, Kawasi Reeves, you know, I feel like he and Manny Obaseki are having the same kind of yeah. you know, situation where if they take that step, now their teams go from being, you know, borderline bubble teams to being ones where you think, okay, maybe they get in that mix for fourth or fifth and the double buy. So I get it. The transfers are cool here, but man, if if Jones can bounce back and Reeves takes a step forward, then I think this team is, is one that, I, that that I'm going to put more stock in. And you know, they'll have a nice kind of core trio that's going to really ease the burden that that some of the ba- newer newcomers feels. But we'll see. But I I I definitely think there's a path for them to be better than, than we're saying as well. So I'll, I'll try and flip it and be an optimist there. Well, let's go from crapping on Florida. Uh, crapping on Auburn, um, they're so fun. I love Auburn. <laughs> I love. I love. 
they are just pure they're like pure dopamine watching those guys play is just a dopamine hit and it, it, you can like, bring logic all you want but i always I felt it. like watching you know bruce pearl i'm trying to remember uh, a couple of years ago i think when uh must didn't quite have it going yet in an early conference game it was either two years ago or three years ago when they were just okay arkansas was and watching Auburn and Arkansas was literally like watching a grassroots game. Like it was, <laughs> it was half disaster, and, but all excitement and just like horrible things were happening, but it was fun to watch. Uh, and, and like, like part of that is, and I kind of wrote this in the, in my preview of Auburn. Like I, I love how much confidence like Bruce instills into his team and his players. Um, to a degree, like at some point last year, like you pull Wendell Katie Green, <laughs> Katie Johnson, and all these guys need to understand, like you are not the star on this team. Like the star is the guy who is being drafted uh, as a top three pick in the NBA draft. Uh, he, you know, the anchor behind him, uh, the guy was, I think, what did uh, Kessler go second round? Um, but I mean, those guys were awesome last year. And really what held Auburn back was because like guys like Green and Johnson just had to take over too many possessions. Uh and so like if you're funneling back and and, and realistically, like all that happened and they still went fifteen and three. Um, they still won the league. And th- but this is why basically I've I've dropped, you know, personally I've dropped Auburn back. I think I had them fourth. Um uh, I've seen them, you know, fourth, fifth. I don't really think many people other than maybe Auburn fans have them any higher. Um, Blake, are, are are you ready to crap on Auburn? Let's hear you crap on Auburn. Come on, you know I'm a big Bruce Pearl um, <laughs> believer. Uh, no, I mean, I went back and forth on Auburn and Alabama, to be honest, in the four or five spot, because like I said, yeah. I, I think it's a clear top three. Uh, but I did wind up putting Auburn ahead of Alabama, and I think it's – a lot of that, well, I don't want to say a lot of that, but a portion of that is because of what we saw from Alabama last year, which I know may be unfair, judging into a new season. But, I mean, they were so disappointing coming off of winning the, the league the year before that I think, you know, I think it's worth being a little hesitant on how this group comes together. But, you know, you could say somewhat similar stuff about just how this Auburn roster is assembled in, in that, like you guys said, I mean, look, I mean, shot selection, um, they got to be much better from a shot selection standpoint, I think, if they're going to be a team that can um, <laughs> compete for a, a – and that's being nice. Like, let's be honest. Like, I mean, they're just – it's got to be. Like, I mean, that's I love I love early to. shot clock airball threes. Like, that's just like what I'm – well, it's, it's, what, it's what gives me life watching Pulling Auburn. from the Auburn logo, <laughs> no less. It felt like you had guys that were trying to be Jared Harper and Bryce Brown, not realizing that Jared Harper and Bryce Brown had to be – those guys on a completely different team where they needed those guys to do some of the things they did. Whereas last year, you really didn't need anything except for, um, you know, Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler doing their thing. So uh, I think, you know, that could worry you though, I suppose on this team, because if you do look around, um, they may think the same thing, I suppose about this, but I, I think I really like Jeff Jasper. I think he's someone that um, I was really impressed with him last year. You know, I mean, it's just like his numbers weren't sexy, I guess, but, I mean, he only, guys, I looked it up. He only had, I'm trying to think, I, I screwed up the number in my initial notes here, and that's what one I have here. I think he had like 12 turnovers in SEC play last year, and, and like he played a ton of minutes. Uh, I think I have it. He only had 25 turnovers in 736 minutes that he played last year. 
And I think he started, what was it, 30 something games. Um, I think he's their best defender on the perimeter. Yeah. I that, mean, that was going to be my you thing. Know, that guy, that guy gave up being a volume scorer and bought into being a Loctite defender. Yeah. Like to me, that's like you want to talk about, and we, we can get into this more with Alabama. So I'll, I'll save the general NATO's critique, but like you ask <laughs> me what, what's going to be the, the separator between Auburn and Alabama. Bruce gets his guys to defend. Like, and Zepp Jasper is my, my chief point there. That guy had just grisly defensive numbers at Charleston, grisly numbers because he's having to do so much offensively. And I thought, okay, Wendell Green's going to clearly be the point guard here. You know, his just everything about his tape at Eastern Kentucky, everything about the stat profile said, that's your lead guard. What happens if Zepp is, you know, put behind, you know, Flanagan or Katie at the combo spot. And that dude just bought into being a stopper and did it night in and night out. And, you know, to me, stabilize them in times and games when that, when that, if you needed to stop a run or you needed to get into somebody, you put Zepp out there. And I thought that was probably like the biggest testament to me of how much, like you talk about Bruce buying into his guys and giving them the freedom to flow. That's sort of the reciprocal from those guys. Like, okay, coach, I'm going to give you everything I have in this kind of under, you know, this kind of, you <laughs> know, role where I don't get a lot of attention. But Zepp Jasper to me is like the best you know, sort of example of, of how Bruce's guys will buy into him because that guy gave everything he had defensively. It was it was awesome to see. Two stats I have on my notes here, and I don't know how, you know, I think they're relevant to probably what Auburn achieves this year. But, you know, I think we, a lot of people just remember, it's like, well, you just always expect the Bruce Pearl team to be able to shoot. Well, that hasn't really been the case the past several seasons. Um, I think they finished 269th, 225th, and yeah. 301 in three point percentage the past three years. And, but one thing I, I did kind of note here, and I think this is kind of what you've seen with Bruce's teams. And I mean, they brought broom in who, what was it? I think he was, he was easily top five, right guys in block yeah. shots last year, like yeah. 130 something. Um, but they've been top 30 in block percentage, I think past six years. I don't know how yep. many years Bruce has been there now. So I think that's important. Um, Cause obviously they have Traore there too. Uh, th- this is a fascinating thing to me because we, we kind of just talked about all the different parts, but, the one part we haven't really talked about is Alan Flanagan. And like, to me, like that's, that's it for this team. Like if he, if he can be Alan Flanagan and I'm not saying he's going to have the same role he had a couple years ago uh, where, you know, he had to do so much. Uh, I think he's still got to probably do a lot on this team for them to get to that highest point. But I mean, I think it's pretty clear injury wise. He just was yeah. never hundred percent last year. He's a good defender. Um, I don't know that he has to be the top scorer on this team, but boy, it would be nice. I'm sure if you're asking Bruce Pearl. Um, so I think he's the key to everything. I think they've got to get him back. He doesn't maybe, I don't know that he gets back to exactly what he was a couple of years ago, but if they can get him close, uh, my confidence in this team will be a lot higher. Yeah. And you know, I, I'm curious what the offensive mix looks like right now, just cause the four and five spots are going to be really, really different from, yeah, and even if you have like a Yoan Traore, who's a really, really athletic big, he's a freshman. You know, Broom is transitioning up. You know, Walker Kessler was a five-star guy who had you know high major experience. Little questions about. I, I like the overall kind of physical profile and athletic profile of the front court, but it's different. You know, one there's not a lottery pick, and there's not a five-star kid coming from North Carolina. Still talent, but a little bit different there. So, I have faith that that Bruce is going to get them to a point where I feel like they're going to contend for a top four spot. But I think there's you're not going to see the kind of death machine you saw at times offensively last year. So I, I feel good about him. And at this point, you know, Bruce is, I think, 
early on, I think kind of underrated Bruce, but over the last couple of years, his teams have generally outperformed where they've been picked in the preseason. So if they're five now, you know, I think at worst they're going to finish where they're slotted. So I feel pretty good about where they are in the mix. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah, I actually uh, had them fourth. And so, yeah, we probably should have talked to Alabama first if we're kind of going up up the chain We there. need time. Um, we need time to... Can you ever really talk about Alabama without talking about Auburn? Like, come on. Like, I feel like well, this is, like, this is it, always, so... Yeah, and I, I do think, like, that that is a healthy transition because overall, like, the, I think the talent level on Alabama is higher than, than Auburn. Um you know, if you if you, no look at, if you look at if you look at Alabama's guards versus Auburn's guards, like Alabama's guards are like more talented. Uh, like Auburn doesn't have a a dude like Brandon Miller. Um, <laughs> like even even Charles Bediaco. Like I, I would I think Charles Bediaco is more talented than either of the uh, Auburn bigs. At least the Auburn bigs are going to play. I mean, I certainly take them over. Uh, you know Dylan Cardwell, but uh, he's better in Broom and and you know better out the out the gate as uh, you know than Triori or however you say his name. Um, but like there is that that hang up, and one of the things that like for me, everybody like kind of jumped on this NATO's bandwagon a couple of years ago, but it's really something um, to just sort of like field average defenses. Uh, basically, like your entire coaching average, career, average defenses. Um, and then like turn out like your best season you've ever had as a coach, uh, was basically built on the too. back of a terrific defense that was anchored by Herb Jones, who yeah. is like John Petty was pretty good. John, John Petty, John Petty is a really good defender. I yeah, I, I think John Petty was was really underrated as a defensive player on that team too, and also at like. Those two guys and their leadership and holding each other, uh, each other and their teammates accountable on defense, uh, and I just you, you didn't see that last year from uh, from Shackleford. You didn't see that from um, you know Quinterly and, and guys like that who are who are probably more talented, but they're talented offensively and they're prone to kind of checking out and so you know even though Shackleford is has is gone like you know Quinterly's coming back and you see like can Nate Oates get all these really talented guys to buy in defensively? Like we know Bruce Pearl can, um, but we've only seen it one year and he had an all NBA level defender on his roster at the time. So are we like, are we believers in Nate Oates? 
I'm a believer if he gets Namari Burnett, you know, to a point where he can play him 24 minutes a night. Because Namari Burnett, when I watched him at Texas Tech, bought in to being a really good defender and an aggressive no-middle scheme. Like, I, that's the only way you were going to get on the floor as a freshman over there was to play defense. And Namari, you know, the offense wasn't great, but there were stretches where I thought he defended really well. He's coming off a knee injury. But if you can get that kind of perimeter defender at the combo spot off of Quinterly when he comes back, you know, then I think you find the best, you know, wing defender that you've got. And then I think you've, you, you've got something to, to work with there. But to me, you know, I, I think Nate's got to find a guy that he can trust to be a lockdown perimeter defender for himself. And if Namari Burnett can come back and be that guy, then, then I start to feel a little bit better or a little bit more confident that this team's going to be adequate enough to, to really, you know, push something better than fourth in this conference yeah i'm pretty high on amari burnett I, I think he's um i think he's probably let me just make sure i'm not forgetting about I, I think he's probably the most well maybe outside of brandon miller most versatile player on the roster in terms of how they could use him i feel like just given his skill set so i i, I hope that i hope he's able to, to bounce back and be what he was before the injury uh because i think he he can be a really good player so i'm, I'm pretty high on him uh, i think mark sears will be okay uh, I think that, you know, just given the scoring ability there and obviously yeah. someone who can shoot the three, I think he'll be fine. Um, obviously, when they get Quinterly back, that'll be huge. I mean, I said this to someone, I don't remember if yesterday, maybe. I mean, I think you can make the argument that at their best, Alabama, and I'm sure we could, I need to look at the rest of the rosters, but I think Alabama is as deep as anyone in the league in terms of yeah. um, available options, um, at least on paper. And I think it's just, but again, I feel like we said that last year. Maybe, um, and you know that's that's it because look, that's something else. Have, I mean, NATO's, have a five star know. point guard backing up, you know, Quinterly. Like, yeah, right. You know, Brandon I mean, Miller, I want <laughs> yeah, Brandon Miller, little bit of a ball stopper, little bit of a questionable mid range shooter, but he looked better in stuff like the Jordan Brand Classic, and when I saw him like in some All Star games postseason. But kids have got a he's got a tight handle. He's legitimately probably a jumbo wing. It's just how much offense do they flow through him at this point? Yeah. But there's, you know, I think you can, if you roll out the lineup of Quinterly, Sears, you know, do they bring out Keon Ellis, you know, to start there? Or do you go Dom Welch as a floor spacer? You know, if you believe that you want to play, you know, the threes in pre-system, do you put Welch out there, Brandon Miller and Betty Ako? Is that what you're going to go with? I mean, I think you're going to see a lot of what we typically seen from Alabama if you do that. So, you know, if Burnett can get in the mix there, you know, I'm looking here. Noah Gurley graded out pretty well defensively, and from what I saw last year, he could do a pretty good job. Just, you know, what concessions is Nate going to be willing to make to to have a defensive group that can give him a chance, you know, night in, night out. But there's talent here. If they if they decide they want to guard, <laughs> then, I, then I'll have – pretty good faith in them but that's that's one thing that bruce gets his guys to do and nate struggles to do and it seems like every bama coach struggles to do that last four or five years you know even when avery was still there you know this is a team that finishes three or four spots lower than their pick and i feel like it's because they just can't guard consistently so i gotta see him do it before i'm gonna have much more faith and and you know pick them to finishing higher than fourth because history tells us they'll probably finish seventh if we're being honest so I think that pretty much leaves us with this top three and mm -hmm. we're all 
in agreement on who the top three is. It's it's in some order depending on you know how you feel about you know different coaches and and players. Uh, but some order: Kentucky, Tennessee, and Arkansas. Uh, Kentucky is number one overall in Kempom. First time in a while uh, going into preseason. Um, Kentucky, or, or sorry, Tennessee. Uh, they were top ten. They were like fourth, um, if I remember correctly. Uh, Arkansas preseason is like sixteenth, I think. Um, and those are the three best teams. I. I think that is sort of how I rank them, even though right now I think I I ended up with Arkansas. That's probably part of the unbalanced schedule thing, as Arkansas uh, ended up second. Um, Blake, what, what, what would be your order? Well, so initially when I sent my list to my colleague, Chris, uh, two days ago, <laughs> My list was Tennessee, Kentucky, Arkansas, one, two, three, in that order. Um, because I, I think, I don't want to say I may be higher than I am, than some people are on Tennessee, but because like you said, they're fourth in Ken Palm. It's not like they're exactly being ranked low. But um, <laughs> I I did wind up switching that back at the last second because I, I, I don't, I think to me, and I don't want to like knock Arkansas here, but I, I think I think it's going to take a little time for Arkansas for yeah. everything to, to get where they yeah. want it to be. Um, they did get slapped around by Texas. Well, and that's the thing, right? Like, if you look the past two seasons, like, this is just, it's almost like this is just what Muss's teams do. Um, last year, they lost five of six from mid-December to January. Year before, they lost four or five from, you know, they started two and four in SEC play. Um, so, I mean, like, I, I think that's just kind of normal. You just pretty much have the confidence that you'll get it figured out by the time they get to the NCAA tournament because uh, they've done it the past two years. And so I think I would put them a little bit further behind Tennessee and Kentucky right now. I, I don't, I don't know exactly what would separate Tennessee and Kentucky in my opinion, except for this fact. And the fact is Kentucky has the reigning unanimous player of the year coming back. Uh, yeah. And I think just that aspect for me is probably why I give them the nod. Um, you know, because I, I really like this Tennessee team. I'm just telling you like I, and, and this is not, this is not just come after the exhibition win over Gonzaga, which, you know, we're all, we're always trying to crown national champions after exhibition games. Which, by the way, Dennis Gates off to a 89-61 victory over the Washington University team from the 1930s there, um, and re reigniting that rivalry already in his first uh, start. So we'll have another podcast on why that may be the greatest <laughs> exhibition win in history. But um, I think that's it because I, I I do like I I love this Tennessee team and I I really loved them before the Gonzaga result, but I think Zakai Ziegler is just, I mean, I'd take that guy. He'd, he'd be in my top, like, give me that guy. I don't even care what, like, he's got to be on the floor. I just think he's he's someone that you just want on the floor, um, you know, and you go up and down the line there. I think one through, I guess if you were asking, we're certainly adding in Tyreek Key into that equation. One through seven, I mean, I, I think Tennessee can beat anybody in the country maybe um, just with that group. But I think Kentucky – may have a little bit more depth. And I think having Sheboy back, getting, you know, a Frederick healthy is important. Uh, we know what Wallace and Livingston can do. Uh, and I know I'm not really talking about Arkansas because obviously I have Nick Smith who can be a player of the year candidate, I think. Um, but I just think that Arkansas team, it's going to take a little time for them to get where they want to be. But I still think they're good enough to, you know, certainly be a second weekend NCAA tournament type team. 
feels like Arkansas too. This is it's different from us, you know, not the churn because must must teams churn, but I don't remember him leaning quite so hard into to youth the way he is this year. Yeah. And I think in the past, you know, when he had transfer heavy teams, he could be a little bit more ruthless with cutting the rotation and sort of like saying, yeah, nah, we gave you, you got your two or three games to really show me what you could do and put some stuff on film. It's not happening. We're putting somebody else in there. And, you know, they would go through their lumps and, you know, like you said, they'd maybe hit the skids in late December and January, but he'd have his seven man rotation. And then he'd just ride the living hell out of it. He'd have the five base calls that they would run and just beat teams to death with it. It's different, I think, when you've got, you know, Nick Smith, Anthony Black, Jordan Walsh, three top 25 guys, five-star kids. You know, they're going to come in, you know, you know, have been anointed, you know, even since they've done their foreign tour. Those guys have all been on the floor. You know, you've had to sideline a kid like Devo Davis, an Arkansas kid who, you know, last year wasn't really happy about being demoted from point guard anyway. That guy's now been shelved a little bit. You know, he's basically been recruited over. You know, you've brought in, you know, other young guys like a Trevin Brazil. You know, we, we miss you already, Trevin. Miss you so much. <laughs> and, and you're a immense upside. Um, but that meant that he had to bring in and bury the Mitchell twins who, you know, came from URI. So I, I'm just curious, like, how this works when he's, you know, got to manage younger talent that's going to expect to play more. And he's already having to sort of like, you know, back burner older guys who wanted to join what they thought were national title team. So it's, it's just going to be weird to see or interesting to see how he handles the interpersonal dynamics there. And that's on top of this team. He's got two, uh, four star in-state kids that he's parked that are not going to play. You know, and another four-star kid from Alabama, I think Dunning is. From. Yeah, Barry Dunning. Um, so three four-star kids, two that are in state, and they're not going to play. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it's just it's one of those things. Like, look, you know, Muss is is sort of proven at this point that he's willing to make a lot of tough calls. Doubting him to is win. stupid. Yeah, yeah. He's like he's going to make tough calls in order to win basketball games. Uh. I like I don't know how he keeps that locker room together. He's done it the last couple of years, so I'm not going to doubt that he won't figure it out. That's why I have them second. But I really don't understand because like the success record of teams who import high level talent uh, and have that sort of like king recruiting class of of multiple five stars when you're not Kentucky and you're not Duke is not great. Yeah, like if you look around, like, like the history of of teams outside of like a blue blood even level team, even like Kansas doesn't even do that. Um, Kansas gave that up. Yeah, Kansas will will bring in like one high level kid a year, and then they, they sort of, but they always have veterans. And I think like I think that that works for self. Self likes guys he can trust. Uh, you know, Cal and, and Kay sort of figured out like, look, we can win with this high level talent. We can just sort of figure it out as the year goes along. Sometimes it blows up a little bit. Sometimes it works out. Um, but it is like that is one area where you have to really question. Like. And again, I'm trusting that Mus is going to figure it out. But it that's a big question mark, in my opinion. And Tennessee, to me, like the it's still a, a lingering thing with Tennessee is, is the 
offense going to be consistent enough yeah. for them? I, like, I know they're going to guard. Ziegler's tough as hell. They're I, gonna I, I love this. They're going to start. <laughs> I love that they have Euro, that they've got Vescovi off the Vescovi off the ball now. I'm really eager to see what happens with Josiah Jordan James having a functional finger on his shooting hand because I know he can defend. I know he can rebound. I know he's going to move the ball. You know, Julian Phillips, you know, we'll see. You know, he was a McDonald's All-American. You know, decommitted from LSU, kind of dragged his recruiting out this spring. I've, you know, Rick Barnes to me is still a guy who's going to lean on his vets. Olivia Nakumwa missed time with an ankle injury last year. But I like Jonas Adu, what he showed in little spurts last year. You know, Tyreek Keefe, they need a microwave dude off the bench. That's the guy. Uros is around to bludgeon people to death. So they're going to be tough. They're going to guard. But just, you know, can Ziegler, you know, he was a guy who wasn't always efficient piloting the offense. Can he be efficient doing that? You know, can Vescovy keep spacing? Can James's jumper come around? Like, all the questions I have about them are on the offensive end of the floor. But, you know, I'm willing to trust that, that, that Rick will at least get them to the point where they're going to be bought in defensively and they're going to give themselves a chance night in and night out. And maybe that's why I would probably put them slightly ahead of Arkansas. I just feel like there's a little bit more culture and chemistry and camaraderie in place there. And that's not very analytic in terms of, you know, bent, but that's just where I think I'd probably put them ahead of Arkansas right now. If if we had to like pick today, yeah, I still, I still think that I think a season like for them, like a, like if things haven't really gone their way is probably like they're still in contention for like a protected seed. <laughs> yeah. So it's just like, like yeah. they're just going to be so good defensively, you know, and, 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 you know, barring anybody like, you know, getting seriously hurt. Uh, I just, I was actually kind of surprised. Um, and yeah, like maybe you know how to say Olivier's last name better than I do, but, uh, <laughs> And Kamwa, uh, I, I just wanted to give you the opportunity. Nkamwa. So, <laughs> what, what, did you say, what did you say, Matt? I said a Kamwa. A Kamwa. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, uh, I like I was surprised when it, I went back and I was doing the preview at how like how good he was for them early last year before he got hurt. He was really good. Yeah. And, yeah. and he was a guy who I never really thought was like when they signed him. You know, it's like oh, you know, here's a guy that probably you know leaves after a year. Because uh, he was sort of like an afterthought uh, international guy, and he's like he, and he was like he, he was leading the charge offensively for them against Gonzaga. So I like yeah, I think it's one of those things where you you have to trust Rick Barnes will, you know, at worst be very 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 good, and I I think that that's sort of what this Tennessee team is going to be. I worry about sort of like the top end for them because like, I don't really see a guy maybe outside of Julian Phillips who just looks like a surefire NBA player to me. Uh, I see a lot of good players uh, and they're, they're deep and they, you know, they have, they have good college talent, uh, but do they have guys who can sort of be difference makers and, and do they have a guy who can, you know, do what Oscar Shibway does? Um, and, and, And I mean, obviously not 20 points and 17 rebounds a game, but, um, you know, just sort of be like that level that, of a difference maker. And I, I think that's what will always sort of give Kentucky the edge for me. Well, that was what I was going to say for both of you. Do you think Cal's, you know, a couple of years ago, people were like saying, is Cal doomed here? Is his model dead? And I, I think he's pivoted his model, but I was just sort of curious. Do you think Cal's 
executed the pivot that everybody kind of wanted him to make, or is there still a little bit of work to do for him there? I think it's much more polished now than than it certainly was um, at the start, and and I do think like he is. I don't know if you like is figuring it out the right phrase. I mean, I think he had figured it out before, but I think now he really because I think someone pointed this out. I don't remember who said this, um, but like it is interesting to think that like we're looking at Kentucky in terms of an experienced team here, and you know those are kind of the things that I think we've talked about in recent years, kind of just you know getting guys back and adding you know more experienced talent to the mix versus what we saw a decade ago. Um, it's just much different now. And I think he understands that. I mean, I think it's pretty clear just in terms of how he's built his roster recently. And, you know, you bring in a couple of those top flight freshmen that can come in and play right away, but un- with the understanding that you need to, to build around them, um, because I just think it's much harder now to, you know, go out and <laughs> I, I'd say it's, I don't want to say it's impossible, but it's a real tall task, I think, to go out and do it the way he was doing it before. So I think he's he's not just adding guys to add guys. I feel like he certainly is realizing there are needs. I mean, look at Antonio Reeves. Um, yeah. You know, I know it's I know it's an exhibition game, but tonight, I mean, he you know they beat Kentucky State by sixty or something, but you know he had twenty three points. He had five threes in twenty one minutes, and I think you know is he going to do that in every SEC game? No, but like there's big part of it, right? Someone who can knock down threes consistently. Guess who their second leading three-point shooter was? C.J. Frederick. And now it's, you know, those are the things I think he's identified, understanding that, you know, Kentucky's going to see some zone this year, like newsflash. It's going to happen. And I think it's like his understanding that there were teams before I think could guard them in a different way because we did, it seemed like we always had questions about just their their ability to, to make shots beyond you know, dunking and just getting to the rim and shooting layups. Uh, but I think now with this team specifically, he's got some defense too. I mean, look, I think guys like Jacob Toppin, um, I mean, we're talking like high upside. I don't know if breakout's the right word, but like I think guys like that um, can be really, really good. Uh, and I mean, even a guy like, I tell you guys, a guy that I don't think is being talked about enough, and I watched them play again. I, Take this for what it's worth, right? Context matters. Watching them against Kentucky State, but on Yenso, the yeah, five-star, that guy, I, and like I said, I know it was who they're playing, but, you know, I'm not even talking about the stats. Like, he was their leading rebounder tonight, but it's, when you watch him play, like, my goodness, the length and the athleticism that this guy same with, has. Same with the new Tiro. Same with that. Yeah. Guy. I mean, they are just... I mean, they are freaks athletically. Like that, that is something too that I think when you put all that together with this team, I don't know, you know, those guys may take a little time to acclimate once you get into to real game action, but you can see the talents there. And when I look at this team one through whatever that would be, 10 or 11, I mean, you know, as I'm talking about, I'm like, I, I, I feel more confident in making my switch to Kentucky because I just think they have all the, all the pieces you need probably to win it all here. So. I love Wheeler. I think, you know, assuming he comes back healthy, cleans up a little bit of the turnover issues that he had last year, but they've got a genuine on-ball facilitator. They've got a point guard. And I, I think that's always been something that I've, you know, thought for the last couple of years. Do they just have a guy who can run a team? And I think they have that. You know, obviously, they have a big Oscar in the middle. But, you know, Cason Wallace is a guy that I love, you know, watching on streams. That guy loves to, to defend. 
loves to get into people, loves to lock them down and can shoot it a little bit. And that's going to, I think, allow Severe Wheeler to kind of be the guy that, you know, wants to get in and provide some sneaky on-ball pressure at times. Now, Chris Livington's a freak athlete who can attack the rack, but he shot the ball well in the Bahamas, you know, for them, you know. So they've got, you know, guys who, you know, can do more than, like you said, just, you know, play in the dribble drive and attack a gap and hope that they either dunk or get fouled. They've got some guys that can do some different things. You know, Frederick is a guy that, you know, you can now import floor spacing there. You know, Antonio Reeves was a guy when he gets on a scoring jack, geez, it's, it's an avalanche. Like you saw tonight. Those are the guys he's bringing in. So if the, if the youngsters don't have it, he can go, all right, let's go get a guy, you know, who I know can go create from here or a guy I can space. But I think the biggest thing that's sort of interesting to me is Cal's, you know, using the portal right now to sort of stash guys like Damian Collins is a freak athlete. Yeah. Adutiro, freak athlete. Onye, like we were talking about, is a freak athlete. Those guys are going to be around multiple years. They're going to get developed. And so now instead of just having to remake the roster every year, maybe these guys are going two and done. But he's building that continuity. He's going out and he's getting the assets he needs. He's figured out how to work the portal. And now I think, you know, to a certain extent politically with that fan base, it's bought him kind of a a little bit more capital because it's not just returning the roster every year. There are guys like even if it's just Lance Ware, who's a you know sixth, seventh, eighth guy in the rotation. There's a guy they know. Jacob Toppin's going to have been around multiple years, so I don't know if he's completely pivoted. But I, I really think he's you know people laughed at him, which was a dangerous thing to do, and he's built a roster that realistically he's going to probably have three or four veterans in its core group. And I, I I just I think he's got the right pieces to mix it and match it. And Cal's shown us he can do that if if he gets to December coming out of the Louisville game. He can he's got a pretty good idea about what he needs to do and he builds that lineup. So I'd have to go Kentucky, Tennessee, Arkansas as my one, two, three. But after the that means I'll probably Louisville game, like just in time to uh to take on the University of Missouri on the road in Columbia. Um interesting stat line here. Uh, for you guys. So uh, in my preview, so I, I published the Kentucky Wildcats SEC preview um, for those listening. If you have not read it, I recommend it. Um, but one thing that I, I wrote about, and I thought this was interesting, um, Cal actually had his third worst def- defense in his entire time at Kentucky last year. And I kind of always thought like that was the one thing that sort of held this team back a little bit um, and probably was kind of one of the things that did the men a little bit uh, in the NCAA tournament. Um, when your offense is, is struggling a bit, like you could always sort of fall back in the defense. The defense can carry, carry the game for you. Uh, Kentucky allowed an offensive efficiency of uh, 100 or better uh, in 15 games last year, and seven of their eight losses came in those 15 games. So only one game where they allowed less than a 100 off, uh, offensive efficiency rating. Or worse was when they lost to LSU, um, and that was the game where Severe Wheeler got hurt. So that would probably explain why their uh, their offense was was poor. Um, but it's one of those things where it's just like if if Cal can sort of get this team to defend better than they did last year, and I feel like he can. Um, I feel like they're a little bit more athletic, uh, like Kellen Grady. Um, 
for you know all of his offensive prowess. Not a great defender. Um, you look at uh, oh, I, you know I guess maybe Frederick coming coming in maybe isn't a guy who you want doing a whole lot of uh, defending. But you know like like even trying like Dante Allen, this guy who is just horrible defensively. Keon Brooks, uh, you know I think should have been a good defender but never really was. They've got Mins is an okay. Uh, defensive guy and you're 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 sort of switching those guys out with like guys like Wallace and and giving Toppin more minutes and maybe Collins around the rim and and you know Livingston just a monster of an athlete. So I feel like if if like that's the kind of team that should probably be like a top 15 level uh on their defensive efficiency and if they are they'll be good enough offensively to uh to you know be a very very real final four threat. Something else that was different, I, I put the stat in my notes. Going all the way back to Cal's first year at Memphis, Kentucky's only finished lower than, I think, 32nd. And for the most part, they're usually top 15 block percentage. That's something Cal talked about a lot this offseason. Last year, they were like, this was the second worst team in terms of block percentage they've ever had or he's ever had as a coach. And I think that's something where we talk about, like, the athletes he brought in, just the length and athleticism on this team. Mm-hmm. I think they'll block a lot more shots this year, and that'll obviously help their defense significantly too. I mentioned block rate in, in my uh, <laughs> my my. There you go. There. Yeah, so I, we're on the same page. Um, but yeah, like it's just one of those things where, like, if if you're sort of sacrificing, and I don't really think you always have to sacrifice athleticism for shooting. Like, I don't think that's necessarily a trade off you always have to make. Um. You just like you. You have to be able to sort of pick and choose who uh, is going to be, I you know, I guess the right fit in in what roles, and you know, and I I don't know. Like I I just think the core that Kentucky has coming back. I mean, I think the the title of my piece today was something along the lines of like you know, Kentucky actually has like the best returning core of anybody in the SEC. <laughs> it's because like one of the guys is the national player of the year, so. Um, there's nobody else in the country who can say that they're bringing back the national player of the year. Uh, if Oscar Shibwe is, you know, just as good as he was last year and, and not better, like Kentucky's going to be awesome. I, I, I just, I, I look at them and I just think they've got theirs. Tennessee, I think doesn't have the top end talent, but I think they've got the defensive ability to go head to head with them. I think Arkansas has got the raw talent, but I'm not quite sure if they've got, the chemistry or the, you know, know, kismet yet to kind of get there. So until one of those two, you know, knocks Kentucky off its perch, I'm just going to keep them there and we'll see what happens. But we always put Kentucky first and, you know, they, by virtue of that, they always seem to underwhelm. So Kentucky, you're, you're, you're going to underwhelm us again this year. We'll just start there. Um, Yeah. I've, it's going to be a- well. The only way for them to meet expectations at this point is to finish first overall in Kempom. Like that's, <laughs> <laughs> like there's, there's, yeah. uh, yeah. I mean, they're the only, the only, I guess, direction that you can go is is down. And, uh, um, I like I was a little surprised to see them first overall. I probably would have thought, you know, definitely top five. You know, but that's sort of how it works. And I, I mean, they're they're going to be great. So just how great, maybe is the the question. Um, so it sounds like we're all kind of in agreement um, on one, two, three, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Arkansas. Any any objectors before we get out of here? 
No, no, no I think that's I think that's gonna be it. Well, um, Blake, part three. Who, yeah, who's your uh, <laughs> who's your coach of the year uh, preseason? Oh boy. Um, I mean, did we give it to Cal by default or like? Um... So, are you of the opinion? And I think like this is something we could get deep into, but I don't want to since we're already at an hour. Um, are you of the opinion that like too often coaches are punished for teams that were expected to be great and they are great? Yes, absolutely. Yep. I am of the opinion of that. Yep. Yeah. So I'm I'm kind of the same way. Like I I think you know a big 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 portion of uh of being a great coach is putting together a great roster and i think kentucky has the best overall roster when you take into experience um you know i think arkansas maybe has the best talent uh i think you could say maybe alabama's up there talent wise um but when you factor in experience and all that i think uh, cal would be my pick if uh, if there's an upset, I would or, say or was like that. My cue to say Dennis Gates because uh, I might miss <laughs> my cue there. That's yeah. enough. <laughs> if if Missouri makes the NCAA tournament, I think Dennis Gates could be in the mix. Like he could be in the discussion for for Coach of the Year. Um, I think if if say somebody like Florida, you know, gets to like a a four or five seed, I think Todd Golden. Uh, could be in that mix, um, but I I'll think put this... Matt McMahon as my sleeper candidate. I yeah, think LSU could. I'll I'll go Matt McMahon as a sleeper candidate here for that one. It helps when he imports like half of his old roster. Yes, exactly. Like they, they know I mean, they you know what to put expect. it in terms of <laughs> roster building. This guy built a a brand new <laughs> roster for the most part, so maybe you give it to him by default. So I still think it's gonna. I'd take McMahon or Buzz Williams just because I feel like they're both sitting. Kind of in that where they're an NCAA tournament team, you know, in the bubble perspective. But if they get to a three or a four, you know, seed in the SEC, you know, people are gonna be like, oh wow, they made a push for a protected seed, and they'll probably, you know, be on the five six line, and that's enough. And there's enough consensus over who the top, you know, four are that if they dislodge somebody, I think they're gonna get credit for, for doing that. But another enough- sleeper candidate, Jerry Stackhouse. Love if Stack guy. gets that group to, if Stack gets that group to seventh, six or seventh, give it to him. Yeah. I mean, uh, and as much as we sort of, <laughs> Ole Miss again being just the weirdest <laughs> group in this league. If you know Kermit gets that group to sixth, I can almost see Kermit getting in the mix there for it. But yeah. I, I don't want to punish Cal. I think we do. I, punish I Cal love. Sometimes. I always love the move from the hot seat to coach of the year to a an extension like that's always a great move like you have to win this year you did win this year we were thinking about firing you but here's five more years <laughs> take our money please <laughs> well with that, all be- life. with that all being said we should uh we should duck on out um thanks everybody for tuning in uh make sure you go follow blake uh if you are not already uh at the blake level uh, he is currently covering the SEC sports for uh, Southeastern 14 and doing the Blue Ribbon sports stuff still, um, writing all about that. Um, you can get all his musings on Twitter and on YouTube. Uh, if you just pull up YouTube and search South 
uh, Eastern 14. It'll it'll pop right up in your search there, and you can watch all the videos, including uh, his his ode to Dennis Gates, which which we all appreciate. Um, so that's it. Uh, if you're subscribed to our podcast, which you should be, you can find your subscription, um, or you can get subscribed by going to Apple Podcasts and Google Play Store. We're also in Spotify. Uh, you also get the before the box score. Nate and BK are are back and doing good things for Mizzou football. Uh, you'll also probably enjoy reading all of this stuff over at rockamnation.com. So uh, that's it. Follow Matt on Twitter at MattJHarris85. You can follow me if you like uh, you know, people making fun of Elon Musk at Sam T. Snelling. Uh, and we will be back. Um, Matt and I will figure out when we're going to go. This this two pods in a week thing might might throw off the schedule a bit. But uh, but we'll be back uh, at some point. Uh, and until then, thanks for